Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, Executive Pastor, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler. It was back in the saddle this week after a couple weeks away. Dude, the cobwebs, man. Did you have some cobwebs? I, I thought I did. A little rusty? Yeah, I mean, it, it is, it's not riding a bike. Because a bike, well, I guess maybe a bike, because I've been riding it since I was a little boy. But, yeah, I mean, standing up in front of a bunch of people and saying something thoughtful, cognizant, coherent. Like starting the engine in the middle of winter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got to... Cold it, start. You got to gas it up a little bit, like pump it. <laughs> I, do I don't think we need... Like in the old cars, you used to have to hit, hit the gas a couple times, like kind of pump it to get the gas into it. But I don't think that works anymore in these modern vehicles. That's, it did feel like that. Like it felt like an old car in the winter in Nebraska <laughs> that I had uh, not plugged into the uh, heater, engine heater the night before. Yeah. Well, and then on top of that, we added a third service um, to our regular service flow each yep. Sunday now, which is a PM service, a 5 PM service. And so, so you added that extra element yeah. this week as well. Yeah. And I, you know, look, the, you know, I can't be whiny about that because every church we grew up around in the eighties and nineties, there was a Wednesday night, there was a Sunday night, a Sunday morning, and they were preaching three different sermons. A hundred percent. You know, I was telling that to to my wife the other day. We were talking through this about this new service. I was like, babe, you know, 20 years ago, maybe not that long. I guess it's been 15 years ago. Yeah, we were running Sunday morning. We were coming back for a Sunday night service, yep. leading a Wednesday. So, I mean, it was kind of like a little bit of a, a throwback. Yeah. I mean, there, you know, there's the, the one hand we want to, you know, we do want to protect our staff. We don't want them here like... Because in those days, you know, in the 80s and 90s, the staff was not here doing a full-blown production for 16 hours. And ours was not either, right? They went, you got to go home and whatever, come back. But, but yeah, like, you know, people were like, oh, man, are you, you okay? I was like, I didn't cross the Rubicon. <laughs> like, I literally I spoke for an extra 30 minutes to with the same with the same sermon you know right. so the third time's a charm yeah I was like, oh you know give me a couple hours to connect some dots and you know there's not a sunday i don't know when you've spoke but there's not a sunday that i have not walking away going oh wait i just said walking that i've not walked away thinking oh i should have said this or that and this gives me the chance to say this or that or to not say this or that yeah you can correct yeah first two services are a bit of so first service it's we try really hard to make first service be high quality content. Yeah, you don't want it to suck. Like no. people got up early, drove their cars, you know. But as anything else, the more times you do it, the better it will get. So by the time you get to second service, is probably the chances are that it's going to be better delivery, mm -hmm. thought process than the first service. Yeah. And the difference between doing it in the evening as opposed to three back to back to back. Yes. Was that by the third service when we were doing three in a row on Sunday morning, I'm cooked, man. Like by third one. This is true. When you do consecutive, three consecutive, 
the third service is a bit of an out-of-body experience. Yeah. Moments where you're in the middle of a sentence and thinking, oh, good Lord, did I just <laughs> say, am I literally saying the sentence again? Yeah, like what service am I at? Yeah. Did I say that already? Yeah, like the moments where like I think I just said that same sentence twice in a row, but I'm having a memory <laughs> of like first service or something. And yeah. I didn't have any of that. In fact, if anything, Sunday evening, it was like super relaxed. And yeah. Pretty chill. Yeah, it was great. We had a really good Sunday. Packed house the entire day. Um, just some some really great times of worship and teaching and prayer and man, just the just a really sweet spirit in the building. Um and it was it was exciting. And so you got the chance to continue our belief series, John chapter nine, verses thirteen through thirty-four, the courage of belief. And this is coming right out of the pool of Siloam. Yep. The blind man. And which had to be pretty cool to land in this particular passage. We talked about this last week a little bit, but having literally been and walked along the path to and fro the pool of Siloam to yeah. see it in person and then to come home and kind of teach a little bit about that. Kind yeah. of cool. The thing that Israel is so awesome, especially for students of the Bible, is everything actually happened. Like archaeology continues yes, over and over that. over again to prove that the the stories in the Bible are not just a matter of faith, they're a matter of fact, you know. Doesn't prove that it's divine, but it does prove that it's accurate. And that's important because for so many years, uh post Enlightenment especially, the assumption is is that uh the, the stories couldn't be true, couldn't be you know, accurate. But then as time goes on it turns out the evidence and archaeology of a worldwide flood are abundant, right, globally. It turns out that, you know, David, I mean, just up to a few years ago, there, there was, you know, uh, historians and whatever that would say that, well, first they said there was no David, King David. There's no record of a King David. And then they, they find a, a proof of him in history. And then, okay, well, he was a shepherd king then, you know, which meant he was more like, like Darren, I'm the king of uh, of, of Edgemore Drive. Like at my little home, I'm the king of that. Uh, but now they've found proof that David existed. You know, with other like up in Tyre and Sidon and other other places where his name has been mentioned by other kings. So you know, once again, you're walking on the exact places, and one of those is the you know this road, this Pilgrim's Road, that is what uh, City of David has called it. But it's the actual road that. Jews would have walked on uh, into the temple throughout their throughout the year through their festivals. Um, stop by the pool of Siloam, and it's just you know, un- of course, it's just racked with geopolitical implications. I mean, UNESCO. I don't even. I, we've never talked about this here, but UNESCO has uh, declared you know Jerusalem as this historic site for Islam for Muslims completely skipping over Israel and Jews and Christians. And so uh, a world heritage site for Islam, they came along 600 years after Jesus, you know, but the idea is to wipe Israel historically off of the, so the fact that they're even digging up these sites right now, you know, I mean, look, it's in America, there's two words called eminent domain, 
if if something is important for the uh, the majority of the people, and it, you know they're, they they'll write a check, they'll buy the land, they'll this spot where the pool of Siloam is and this road and stuff, this Pilgrim's Road. I mean, this is of value to billions of people around the world, billions of them. Israel could easily declare eminent domain and say, we're going to buy your homes, we're going to build you new ones. It happens all the time in all kinds of places. And it could start World War III if they do it there. Wow. Um, but right now, they're just, you know, the way they've solved this problem is we're going to dig underneath your neighborhood. And even that's not good enough. Like all the, the, the shoring up of they've, you know, in the world that they could do, it's, it's not good enough. So explain that a little bit. They're digging these, they're unearthing these sites, these places underneath neighborhoods. Like yeah. how far down are we talking here? Um, further than you think. That's wild. In ancient history, when uh, a nation would conquer another nation, right? They didn't just move into their stuff necessarily. Like, hey, here's a new house. We're going to move into their home. They would bulldoze and bury it and build on top of it. So even the, the, the quote-unquote modern old city of Jerusalem is not, isn't, it's not the, necessarily the location of the original old city. It's just it was conquered and conquered. And conquered, and every time they conquered it, they buried it and built something on top of it, and built Sheesh. something on top of that. And so, you know, this uh, Herod's uh, King Herod's the temple that Herod was responsible for for building was two thousand years ago, and since then, you know, the Ottomans, the Turks, the Crusades. I mean, there's been all kinds of hostilities in this in this world, and so it's um, so it's like your neighborhood. What's your neighborhood called? Oakwood. Oakwood. You know, it's a, you, yours is a classic Franklin neighborhood that uh, back when I first moved here, it was like, man, all the way out in Oakwood, like that's so far out there. And it's like, now it's the middle of everything. But it would be like someone came along and conquered Oakwood and wanted to build the, the grove. But instead of, you know, just what they just literally would not only bulldoze, but bury it and then build on top of it again. And so, yeah, this is. A couple of layers down and right on top of that you know uh and, and you can well you can't because it's not open to the public but we were able to go on the tunnel that allows you you know it's underneath it wasn't a tunnel 2000 years ago 2000 years ago it was just a road that everybody walked on and it leads right to the pool of siloam which right now is half uncovered and the other half was just acquired uh after years and years of trouble and it wasn't just a, they had the money it wasn't about the money it was getting the political people to sign off on and by the way the other side of this pool asylum it's not like there's a house on it that they're gonna have to, it's literally a trash dump and even that took years to acquire with it so within a couple of years this pool of siloam will the whole pool will be exposed they'll, they'll go in and un, uncover all of it it's, it's really cool wow well in that story there's there's three kind of groups of people that you you pulled out of there and it's kind of surrounds this idea of unbelieving doubt, the irrational, the victim, and the hostile individuals that the blind person interacts with. Yeah. Irrational being the, the people, the crowd that was kind of surrounding him and, and, and not believing that he was healed or that if he was healed, like, how is this possible? Or even maybe better stated, <laughs> How could you possibly let this man do this to you? Like, you should have gone somewhere else. This is ridiculous. 
And then the victim is the parents, and we, we can go into that here in, here in a minute. It's the, the blind man's parents, and the story around that in and of itself is wild. And then the, the, the hostile, the hostility that he felt from the Pharisees. Those are kind of the three different sections that we went through. Maybe talk about, talk about what, what you mean by irrational. It's this this yeah. idea of unbelieving doubt that manifests itself, that exhibits itself irrationally yeah. in our behavior. Well, if, if you think about doubt as a purely intellectual problem, it should be easy to solve, which means I just get the correct information. Yeah, data-driven. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know if... Because I used to think that, by the way, that it was all uh, data-driven, that, it, that it, belief, unbelief, whatever, was, was based upon information, and if you get the right information, you can, you can change your beliefs. Which is such a dumb thing to think because it's not true. Like, it's completely demonstrably false, which is why you know, an apologetic ministry or even just an apologetic in general that just deals with the intellectual. You can't not deal with the intellectual. Don't get me wrong. But it's not just an intellectual problem. It starts somewhere deeper than your, than your brain. And in the irrational... You know, it's an, it's an unbelief that is based more around fear than around fact, right? I'm afraid if this is true, if this is real, it changes everything for me. I mean, and think about it from, from our perspective as followers of Jesus. If, we've, if something in archaeology, like for instance, they found a tomb with Jesus' body inside of it, incontrovertibly factual, which they haven't, and by the way, they have looked, and they will keep looking. Because, <laughs> right. uh, again, there's a, there's a tomb of Muhammad. There's a tomb of Buddha. They're, they're easily findable. But if they did, imagine how complicated that would be to have to over to I was wrong about this. Yeah. Because it's terrifying. Everything I've set my life around is now inaccurate. We experienced that during the pandemic. The, the fear of I have trusted in, I'm trusting in science, I'm trusting. And if, if what we're saying was true, which was that these vaccines were not going to stop infection, that they're not actually a vaccine, that, that masks didn't work. If that's true, that means everything I've put my life on of science to protect me is wrong. They're not believing or not believing anymore based on any kind of fact or data they're ba- it's based there's a there's a, there was a, a segment of society that they were basing it on fear and they were of course 100% would do, oh, I'm not afraid I'm just being a good neighbor whatever you could you could literally logic your way into you know uh, why you're not believing clear facts and data but that's these these people had a clear miraculous experience. They knew this guy was blind. They knew him while he was a blind guy. He's not a blind guy anymore. Still questioned it. Jesus is here. Yeah. Right? And so they did. And this is why I, I believe that they were driven by fear. Because when fear is uh, is infiltrating a belief system, you we, we, we crowd together with other people who think the same way we think. Mm-hmm. So they didn't go look for Jesus to say, hey, how'd you do that? You know, did you, is this like some sort of David Blaine street magic thing? No, they banded together with people who believed like they believed and went to people who believed like they believed, experts who could confirm their belief. Uh, experts being the Pharisees. And the experts in this case were, once again, irrationally saying that this can't be real, this can't be true, because, uh, because that would mean that Jesus is Messiah and he can't be Messiah. 
one of those examples that you just talked about. I know <laughs> we're in year three of pandemic era. Does it really even, I don't know. I don't even know how to <laughs> address it anymore. Um, other than what came out this past week is that they finally have admitted that natural immunity is, is, is good or better, obviously, than vaccination which which still gets it's uh, there's uh, a there's a sweet irony that when someone and i most of my friends were sharing these these were nbc stories right like yeah the covid mainstream. the covid bro coalition were sharing because this is because by the way it's factual so they're doing their job they're actually reporting what the facts are and the algorithms haven't updated yet so they're still getting fact-checked by, you know what I mean? Like the, the COVID fact-checks from Instagram, they're relying on NBC. Now they're fact-checking the fact-checkers. That's great. They're, they're fact-checking the sources that they use to fact-check the, you know, the facts. So anybody that shared one of those was getting a fact-check. And these are like mainstream. They're the ones that we were supposed to be you know, listening to, NBC, Washington Post. And it's not like brand new information. Like No, not this at all. Is, this is literally the way epidemiology, and I'm not, I'm not an epidemiologist, whatever. But epidemiologists have were before this even. It wasn't it wasn't politically incorrect to say that uh, a natural immunity, <laughs> right? These are things we learned in sophomore biology class in high school. Yeah, we're not in the deep end of the pool. No, on the epidemiology here, and so to see that, and to know that there are, including our nation right now, if you are from Israel or from any other country outside the United States, you have to prove and provide a vax require. Like you've been vaccinated, and there's some definition of it, which I think is uh, updated boosters, whatever, yada yada yada, to just get into our country. To, literally today, that is still the truth. Are they are we are they requiring proof of one, two, three? A booster, boosted, and it's within within the last X amount of months. I mean, it's. It's very specific as to what it is. So our like one of my friends from Israel that I really want to come to the United States to speak at our church uh, can't. Yeah. You know, there's hope that since uh, President Biden declared the end of the pandemic, which it was. Didn't he put a date on it? Isn't it like <laughs> in the middle of April, it's officially <laughs> over or something? Turns out you could schedule the end of a pandemic. <laughs> Who knew that? Like put in like a little part, like as a party invite, like as an evite, you know. <laughs> RSVP to the end of the pandemic. Like, bro, we've been at the end since like Long time ago. 2020. But, uh, but that I, to me, that we experienced it. And, I, and to put a faith lens on it, most of the people that I know that have, that either have rejected Christianity outright or have had a faith in Christ and then walked away f- from it. They end up getting – there's like a herd instinct on Reddit you know, or someplace else. But there's a fear somewhere that they have felt about their faith. And so they have – they now walk away from that, but they gather together with others. And then they go to their experts to, to clarify their information um, you know, or they become life coaches and you know, start selling, <laughs> right. selling it online. But no, that's a really good example of the irrational – Irrational, unbelieving doubters. I came across this quote this week in um, kind of studying through this as well. Unbelieving doubt asks questions in order to challenge. Believing doubt asks questions in order to learn. 
And I think that's, that gives just a lot of clarity to um, unbelieving doubt and believing doubt and the difference between uh, the blind man and these adversaries he kind of came up against. And, and the thing is, when you here's why that's important to know that that's such a good clarification. And here's why it's important. I have wasted, I, I can't even tell you how much time I have wasted having conversations with somebody about faith specifically who was somebody that was a unbelieving doubt. They were not looking for truth. They were looking to fight. And of yeah. course the internet is full yep. of that. And I had this uh, very naive uh, that if if we could, because I, I mean, I'm sort of wired. I kind of, you know, I like conversations like that. I genuinely enjoy having my faith challenged and and pressing in, and um, which is believing, a believing doubt. Like I, you know, the Lord, I I believe, uh, help my unbelief kind of faith. Um, but there's Jesus talks about casting your pearls before swine, and. It's, it's a very offensive thing to say because that means that the people that I'm talking about, they're going to think I'm calling them pigs, and, and I didn't. Uh, Jesus did. But, uh, but what he's really saying is that this is this valuable, valuable truth, and you've got pearls. This is, you know, I have a finite amount of time to do this. Do I want to present the pearls to, to somebody who doesn't really understand or appreciate or doesn't want to understand or appreciate? And the answer is, you know, when you're talking to somebody who's not listening, just stop talking to them. Just stop. It's, it's not worth your emotional energy. It's not worth your mental energy. Because if, if, and you can, here's the thing you will know that they're an unbelieving doubt by how, which honestly, when you see the irrationality of it and some of these other things we're, we've talked about, when you see the irrationality, when you see there's like, like a victim thing or there's a hostility and insulting, you're done. The first time someone throws an insult at you and, and when they can't, you know, you're just a transphobe. Like, okay, well, we're done here because we, you've, we're not talking about facts anymore. You, you're just trying to insult me with some charge that I can't possibly yeah. defend. So uh, the pearls before swine, figuring out which one you're talking to. Or, and by the way, figuring out which one you are. If every conversation you're in is just about being argumentative and you're using something like, oh, I'm just bold, that's the way I am, or I'm just blunt, that's the way I am. No, you're kind of being a jerk. You're kind of in an unbelieving doubt. And which is why I titled it, by the way, the the courage of belief because anybody can doubt like that. That's not courageous. That's cowardice. Courage is what's the truth and then let the chips fall where they may. That's yeah. courageous. Everything else is cowardice. Yeah, and along those lines, the kind of the next point here of cowardice was an example of the blind man's parents, in essence. Yeah. They were, they were, they were playing the victim and fearful and cowardly and not defending their son. You know, reading it, you know, having a son who, uh, if he were born blind and he was suddenly healed by somebody, like the way they're responding is so incoherent. Unless there's something deeper that's not intellectual again, there's something emotional, there's something feelings based around it, and where their feelings were. Their culture, which, by the way, is uh, is most shame honor cultures that exist today. The caste system in India is a True. great example of this. That it's so baked into their religion and their culture that 
if you were born in the wrong caste, um, the wrong section of society, that uh, you don't get to sit on the furniture. So, you know, if you've got, you're having company over for small group, but someone is from the Dalit caste, which is the, the lowest of them, they would, they would literally sit on the floor instead of on your furniture because of where they are in the caste. Wow. And nobody in the room goes, oh, no, no, get on the furniture. Even the people sitting on the floor, they know they're not worth it. They know in their minds what they know, right, which is what their culture's taught them, which is I'm supposed to sit on the floor. So, so Jesus comes along, heals a blind man. Blind man would have been the bottom of the cast, especially someone who was born blind. Because in their religious ideology, their belief about who God is, he was born blind because somebody sinned. Uh, chapter nine that Joel covered two weeks ago, the very first question the disciples asked, they didn't ask, is it that somebody sinned? They said, which one was it? Was it the, the kid or was it the parents? Did he somehow sin in the womb or was it the parents? Because the preconceived notion is that somebody sinned and that's why he's blind. And when someone's blind because they've sinned, that means they're unclean. Wow. They're not in the synagogue. And uh, so, so they've already lived an entire life of where people in the community are whispering about, wonder what sin they were doing, that this mm. guy's born blind. I mean, I wonder what he did that, man, his son, his poor son is blind because the dad was a sinner or the mom or both, you know, were sinners. And so they've already lived a way uh, where they've been cast out. And what you feel when you've been cast out of something, you know, anger, all that. But what you really feel is hurt. Like, I don't know, have you ever been sort of removed from a church group or people that you were a part of, but you don't get to be there no more? <laughs> yeah. Right? It that doesn't feel great, you know? Yeah. It hurts. And hurt, if you don't deal with it, is resentment. You know, someone who's been hurt, that doesn't deal with the hurt, doesn't forgive the person that hurt them, becomes super resentful. Which is why, on the one hand, I'm grateful for people who have spoke up who have been in abusive situations i really am there's there's a lot of courage in that but to literally make your entire life on 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 hurt becomes resentment which is why most of those they they start blogs or, or, or twitter platforms everything they're doing is very resentful towards anybody that could possibly hurt them and it's it's cloaked in self-righteousness it's cloaked in virtue but at the end of the day, it's just someone who really got hurt, and they're really sad, and they're really uh, resentful. So the, vi- the victim here, the parents, because they really were victimized by their faith community. And instead of saying, because what do they say? The, the, the father, get the parents here. He, well, they'll tell us whether this guy was born blind. we got to get the parents in here. So here's the guy was blind or he's not. Let's get some proof the parents are in here. They asked the parents, yeah, I mean, we can tell you he was born blind. We can't tell you how he was healed. You got to ask him. He's an adult. Ask him. Yeah, because for them to admit that uh, that he was healed by Jesus would then acknowledge the fact that Jesus was the Messiah, which in turn kicks them out of the synagogue. Oh, it, it puts them. You know, they're already hanging on by a thread <laughs> right. at the synagogue. You know, but they go from being whispered about at the synagogue to being thrown completely out of it. And being thrown out of the synagogue in these communities was not like, you know, because, you know, I've same. I, I wasn't kicked out of the church, but, you know, we were out. You see them at Walmart and it's like they're they're super weird. They act like they didn't see you and they go a different direction. Like, I know you saw me. Like, I totally know you saw me. It's way worse than that. Quick sidebar. Quick question. When's the last time you were actually in a Walmart? 
like an actual Walmart. Because <laughs> you use that, you use that phrase a lot. But I don't, I don't actually know that you visit the Walmart. What are you saying about me? <laughs> I don't think you're a Walmart guy. You think guy. I'm bougie? <laughs> I think there's a lot of steps between Walmart and bougie. And I don't think I don't think there is. I think because you're saying I'm a Target guy is what you're really saying. No, I don't. I don't even think I don't like think a you're a Whole Foods tar- guy. No, I don't. I don't think you're even a Whole Foods guy. That's bougie. Well, for the record, I would like the record to show I was in Walmart. Right before I left for Israel. <laughs> well, that's a good place to pick up items and, and, and things for a, for a oh, trip. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Band-aids and, you know. Now, this I, is good to, This is good information that people want to know. I'm like, when's Walmart, the last time you've been to Walmart? I'm a Walmart guy. Okay, the Target guys good. are too woke for me, man. Like they, Facts. You know, I, I dated a girl that I, here's how I knew our relationship wasn't going to work. This was in 1989 or 90, and I knew our relationship couldn't work because she only shopped at Target. Oh, man. In 1990, like, well, we can't, we got to break up. You probably watch the Oscars and have Oscars parties. And like, you, you, you. I didn't even, there wasn't even Whole Foods back then. But I'm like, oh, we, you know, we can't, we can't be a part of each other. Walmart's my people, man. Yeah. I mean, this should be like, check the box. Like, you know, where do you shop? If they're, if it's like, do dating apps include, you know, Walmart or Target? You could, you could tell a lot. Right. Now, that said, look, God bless my wife. She doesn't listen to this podcast. I can say almost anything I want, except for people will tell her. <laughs> but, uh, she man, she she, she likes her some Target. Some Target. She really likes, and she likes Publix. But a, Publix is like the Target of grocery shopping. They do that, and my wife will say, "Oh, but they have buy one get one free." But that's like that's like that item, and then the rest of everything else. I promise you, our grocery bill is infinitely higher because we're at Publix. But you know, I mean, in fairness, Publix is closer to our house right now. So I'll, <laughs> I've reached the age of my life that if I can save shave ten minutes off of a drive. You know, it might cost me an extra ten bucks. I'll I'll shave the ten minutes That's off right. and go to Publix. But time's worth more than that, right? But I would prefer like Kroger or something that was cheaper. Now we're talking. Oh, I say that, but you know, look, Kroger gone woke, man. Did you oh, know? They look, did yeah, I they saw got, that in Arkansas, man? They got people got to wear pride aprons, like grandmas oh, going. I don't want to wear my. I don't want to wear this. Like they, they were, they were literally called in front of Congress. I think he ended up winning that suit. They better have. Wait, what? Kroger won. No, the okay. guy. Yeah, should the employee have. should have. If you if you didn't hear this, it was a few months ago. They, well, I guess it would have been. I don't know. It was like last June. month. I thought. Well, oh. it was June because it was Pride. Oh, month. okay, that's when it started. You're right. And they were asking their employees to wear a rainbow embossed smock and or a pin. Yeah. And someone refused to do so, right? Because they didn't want to support that. Yep. And it went like all the way up to Congress, like a whole thing. But I believe the employee was was awarded. Yeah, they were because they were. It, it, I mean, here's the thing: you could, we can make a case whether or not it's moral or not, and it is not. But it's actually this is illegal. Like it, they actually were violating, like labor laws, right? And so, if you once you can get through, even whether it's Republican or Democrat, these congressional trials are literally like. Uh, like a little play, like a little t- chance to showboat or whatever. Yeah. But once you get through the showboating and get to the actual questions of, you know, this was really illegal and you shouldn't have done this. But that said, I don't know. I mean, public doesn't feel like they're making anybody wearing rainbows, so maybe it's worth the extra 10 bucks. There you go. For uh, for that. You didn't think I was a Walmart guy. I just wasn't sure. I can't sure. Tell if I'm hurt <laughs> or afraid. I, I just, I just, <laughs> I'm getting hostile can, and irrational here. You can take the man out of Nebraska, but you can't take Nebraska out of the man. Oh, dude, look. That's the truth right there because 
getting a Walmart where I was from, you are now an upwardly mobile metropolitan city. You have a Walmart? How far away was the Walmart? What was an hour? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> wow. It was like an hour. It was a, it was a, but man, it was a big stinking deal, man, to get to go to Walmart. Like, that was like you get dressed up and go, like, it was like a once every other month or something, you know? Going to the big city. Right? It was like you walk in, it's like this, like, utopia of all these of groceries and you can get pants right. right you can get a snorkel for the pool <laughs> <laughs> all at the same place dollar general has done that now oh they my are gosh. everywhere dude that, that so they're taking over and including my uh, hometown of superior Nebraska. They have the, a Dollar General? The crown jewel. Oh, I bet. In the middle of town where the old elementary school, they have bulldozed it and built a, a mo- really a monument to, you know, to cheap commerce. Um, it's, it's about a block from where I live, but, you know, the, the Dollar General, they, that, so their entire business model is based on building steel buildings. Definitely not good. They're not tornado proof for sure. You see tornado damage, you're going to see trailers and Dollar Generals are all destroyed. Wow. Um, but just cheap buildings, cheap property, and then they sell a, you know, it's, you know what it is? This is what I was thinking about. It's the tooth and nail records oh, wow. of retail shopping. Brandon Ebel, God bless him, when he started that label, and maybe still to this day, I don't know, his entire model was not based on one band selling millions and millions of records. It was based on hundreds of bands selling thousands of records. That's right. And... That's the Dollar General model. Yeah. Hundreds of stores selling hundreds of thousands of dollars instead of dozens of stores selling millions of dollars. And, and by the way, like if, you know, if, if I might use a sports metaphor. Oh, <laughs> tread cautiously. Incorrectly. It's like somebody left the, the, goal po- the goal completely unguarded. You know, in middle America, places where I grew up, no one is guarding that. You could just literally kick, kick field goals all day into it and win because nobody, you had no competition. Nobody was blocking it. And... Uh, you know, because they're too busy trying to get into the metro areas, and that's the. And I don't know if you've seen the guy, the guy that the owner of Dollar General. Have you seen his house in Brentwood? Mm-hmm. Bro, he's got a couple of them. I bet my left arm that there's not a single thing inside that house that came from Dollar General except the money that paid for it. <laughs> well, that's that's how it works. I mean, he's got like fur on the ground, like zebras and stuff, like like actual like African animals and. From Dollar General, from cheap shampoo. This is good information. Right? This is helpful. This is why you listen to the Deeper Podcast. We have irrational. We have victim. (laughs) And then the hostility, the hostile Pharisees. Yeah. They were so mad, furious, because right before this, they get into this, this, uh, this verbal altercation about the truth, that he is who he says he is, that I am that I am. And they get so mad that they literally start throwing stones at Jesus yeah. as he scampers off. Yeah. And by the way, this is the difference between the resentful and uh, and the hostile is one is based in hurt and when the other is based in, in shame. That's really good. And the resentful, that's why uh, when it comes back to, you know, I, and maybe it's important, I don't know if any people that would even listen to this would identify that they've had victimization in their life, but... We've all been, we've all been, we've all been experienced in some way where we have been a victim of something. But the minute I, I can't remember who says this, but if you've been held, uh, 
held hostage or someone. But the minute they put the gun down and walk away, you're not a victim anymore. You've been victimized, but you're not a victim. So to not make it your identity so that now resentment rules your life. But when it comes to the Pharisees, it's shame-based. And as I was reading with that lens, it make, the Pharisees make so much more sense when you realize that it's not just shame, but their own shame. Because anybody that enforces rules and regulations and policies and procedures like they did, and there's a lot of shame around it. Because at the end of the day, they know in their in, in the, when the when the lights are off and the music's gone, whatever, and they're laying there alone in their in their beds, they know that they are also missing the mark. And there's a, so much shame in that. That so much so, by the way, that most people who were dealing with shame actually don't realize it. You know, we we usually picture shame, you know, which is one way, right, that it manifests is that you're you're insecure. I'm less than I'm. But, but the, the most common way that shame manifests when it becomes toxic is I'm trying to now transfer that shame onto everybody else but me by enforcing these rules and these regulations and these policies and mm. these procedures. And so, and, and again, you know, in our modern context, the modern progressive liberal worldview is about honor and shame again. We're literally recreating a an honor and a shame culture so that if I, if I say that a man can't have a baby, instead of having a conversation around that, the, the immediate thing is, no, you're just a transphobe. You're a homophobe. You're a bigot. You're a racist. That's not a conversation anymore. That's insulting. Like I, so the minute someone, this is back to the pearls before swine, but the minute someone starts like walks away from a conversation and goes into insult, then you're not dealing with wisdom anymore. You're dealing with shame. And to our own regard, if our, if we get to a point where uh, in my own faith walk, that my response is to shame anybody else. And this is true, right, left, middle, whatever, that I'm not dealing anymore with facts and I'm only dealing with, with fiction. I'm dealing with the shame in my own life. And I'm trying to transfer that onto someone else. Chip Dodd um, breaks this down a little bit in his feelings chart in, 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 from his book. And um, the shame moves to contempt. Yeah. Which yeah. is what, what you're describing. Yeah. Yeah. That, so think about the, just the last couple of years, the contempt that we experienced from somebody who because we weren't we weren't keeping the rules right or whatever. There was people yelling at you at the, you know. There's a contempt in that, and it's it's there's a smugness to it, right? Like it's arrogance, yeah, self righteous, yeah. Of course, I was gonna say maybe Chip Dodd. Of course, it is. It's probably a better word to use contempt because the smugness to it is what really, uh, really, uh, it's the big tell when someone's coming out of shame. If someone is raging in anger, that's a hostility. That's a, that's more about fear. But when there's a smug intellectual arrogance to it, that's that's a shame manifesting, you know. And I, I mean, I'm blocking it by just saying I'm just going to now I'm going to insult you, which is what they did to him. You know, this guy's saying, you know, they've so they've they've got to the Pharisees. How'd this guy get healed? The Pharisees are like, well, we don't even know if he's even blind. Let's bring the parents in, right? So they bring the parents in, and the, the parents are. 
in a victim mindset and saying, uh, we don't, we don't know how he got healed. You, you, you deal with him, like literally rejecting this, you know, their son. And, and now they're back to the Pharisees saying, well, look, okay, we know he's born blind. The parents have testified to that. So let's get back to this guy. And, and what I love about what they do here, which is so obvious and so infuriating, quite honestly, is they're, let's shame him into verse 24. They've now summoned the blind men again. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. Like they're literally the smug intellectual arrogance of that statement. You know, we know it is now. You know, you just toe the line, say what you're supposed to say so we can get on with our lives. And I'm sure if you're the Pharisees, you kind of, you know, you're kind of like the COVID police. You just, if you just shut up and obey the rules and make our jobs a lot easier and we could all get on with our lives because, you know, we don't have to answer to the other, these people that are wondering how it was you were healed. The, the book that I'm referring to is Chip Dodd's Voice of the Heart. If any of this type of uh, topic interests you, I would suggest that you push pause on this podcast. Uh, pull it up on Amazon, Voice of the Heart, Chip Dodd. It is a must reading um, in terms of understanding your feelings. And the um, he goes through the impairment, the impairment, rather, the impairment, the truth, and the gift of each of our feelings. And as it in, in regards to shame, the impairment of shame is the contempt that we're talking about. Yeah. The gift of shame is humility. Yeah. Which you're, which is what we do not see here only, <laughs> except for only the blind man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess that's what you can now see. What was so helpful for me in my faith in general was the realization that feelings on the one hand and intellect on the other hand are not mutually exclusive they're actually really intertwined in us. And so, you know, most John MacArthur-esque people are going to be, it's all head, all brains. And on the other hand, you've got the, you know, Rob Bellish, which is it's all feelings, you know. But in the middle is, you know, most people that are, like, say, on the Rob Bell side are saying, you know, it's, uh, well, this doesn't feel right, or this feels, this feels right to me, so it must be true. What they're really saying is, I, this makes me glad. Yeah. So it's true. Or, or more often, this makes me afraid or this makes me shamed or so I feel contempt or I feel so. So instead of dealing with the feelings and the facts at the same time, they've, they've completely divorced themselves of either and you, you just don't come to good conclusions when you do that. Yeah, they put their flag on the ground on one or the other. Yeah. Dude, so really, uh, sidebar, this is actually funny when you think about head and heart. Uh, Dan and Jill Colvin were with us on the Israel trip. And... I don't know, somewhere, maybe two, day two, day three, I realized that they are like friend friends with John and Stacy Eldridge, like voice of the heart, like before they wrote voice of the heart, went to church together, like, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And then like three days later, uh, I refer, I think we're at Caesarea Philippi and I'm referring to uh, wild at heart, wild at heart. What did I say? Voice of the Heart. Oh, that's Chip Dodd. Voice of the Heart. Chip Dodd, Wild at Heart. John Elvis. You're like, that can't be right. (laughs) Wild at Heart. Thank you. You know, but on the other hand, I'm talking about like uh, the the angels, the sons of God on Mount Hermon or whatever. And and, uh, later Dan goes, hey, so you must be a a Hugh Ross guy. I'm like, you know who Hugh Ross is? (laughs) Astrophysicist? Anyway, again, childhood friends. Wow. Apparently, Hugh and John Eldridge Hugh Ross and John Eldridge were on staff at the same church at the same time, Whoa. and Dan and Jill were in their small group. Or 
uh, and I might be getting that story a little bit wrong, but they, they, they all know each other. And point being, the guy that affected me intellectually, Hugh Ross, and in my heart, John Eldridge, they're like both in Sunday school together. I'm like, I don't know, what are amazing. the chances of that happening? But that was, the uh, for me, the reminder that both head and heart are an important part of the journey. And one doesn't negate the other. They complement each other. And, you know, the Pharisees, you know, kind of, they reject the heart altogether, reject any sort of feeling because it's just about shame and keeping the, you know, keeping the score. And you're right, it's with contempt. But the last guy, you know, in the mix is the, is the guy that was healed. Is he named? No. Wouldn't that be fun to know? We don't, even know, what he, we don't know what happened to him after this. <laughs> right. right? Well, I say that we know one thing that happened, which actually leads us into John 10, but because Jesus went back and looked for him after he gets kicked out of synagogue. Yeah. So in humility, this guy, which with the thing that humility does is it says, whatever is true, that's, that's where I'm going to plant my life. I don't care what the consequences are because I don't base my life on consequences. I base my, base my life on truth. And he says, you know, all I know is I was blind and now I see. Whether this guy is a sinner or not, I can't tell you. Like, there's the humility in him saying, I, I don't know. I just, here's all I know. Like, the, is, I don't know if there's a more humble statement than to say, I don't know a lot. All I know is this. Opposite of what the Pharisees say, right? Yeah. I, I know all of this stuff and ignore anything that you don't know. Uh, someone said once about a, th- a great theologian. I probably shouldn't say their name. But they were saying it about John MacArthur, actually, which is, I wish I could be as sure of one thing as he is about everything. <laughs> and I was like, that, that kind of resonates, you know, that, you know, the Pharisees were sure about everything, right? They were sure, you know, I, I wish I could be as sure of one thing as the Pharisees were about everything. And this guy in humility saying, all I know is this. And then the final act of insult and contempt, verse 34 To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. They canceled him. I mean, he is now canceled from the synagogue. But for a guy that literally was blind, now he is spiritually eyes wide open. He is seeing as clearly as he's ever seen. And he doesn't want to live by a lie. It's so infuriating, though, to see the Pharisees act this way, right? I yeah. mean, over and over and over again, Jesus is telling him, look, you, you have sin in your life. Yeah. Like, just believe. I'm here to forgive. You don't have to do yeah. all of this. You don't have to know all of this. Just know that I am the truth. Yeah. And it shows some of the import of how it, you know, dealing with, like, recognizing your feelings in something is not a weakness. It actually helps you, you know, to be able to say, okay, I'm afraid. I'm, I'm really dealing with shame. I mean, you know, I'm not really doubting most. And when you follow along with most of the people that are doing a public deconstruction, you know, of any kind, you know, for the most part, when you read them, it's actually, especially when you're with this lens, you're like, oh, this is someone who's just really hurt. They're not, they're not seeking truth. They're just hurt. They're afraid, but you can't use that as a crutch. Or an excuse because you know hurt people hurt people but at some point boundaries got to be in place and i can't let you hurt me anymore just because you were hurt doesn't give you any excuse to now go and hurt other people just because you're in shame doesn't give you any excuse to go around shaming other people allow god to do his work and heal you in that 
and not let it blind you, you know, from your humanity. There's a Gallup poll that was released last fall, so very recent, that's talking about unbelief in America specifically. Hmm. And the the number right now is 81% of American adults believe in God, which is 6% lower than when they ran this poll in 2017, so five years ago from when this was taken. Hmm. So in five years, we're seeing almost you know, a, percent, a little more than 1% drop each year that passes of those that believe in God. And they're talking about in this article I was reading about it, just the secularization hmm. of America in general, how Christianity in and of itself is in decline, but that they are believing in something. Uh-huh. That's right? interesting. Right? And um, it's called believing without belonging is kind of this phrase that they're oh, attaching interesting. to. So they're believing in something, whether it's mysticism or... Um, like manifesting? Yeah. I don't know if they would call it that, but... Yeah, yeah, the, the, same, the same idea. Or anything else that's not necessarily like an organized religion, maybe even astrology. They're believing... Or science. Yeah. Jeez. They're believing in something, but they're, don't, they're not belonging to a specific, quote-unquote, religion or sect. But that belief in God in of itself, the primary belief is in decline i guess that shouldn't surprise us because even anecdotally i know i know a lot of people that 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 describes them yeah Mm -hmm. they talk about the universe the universe gave me this or you know the universe didn't want this for me i'm like so you're saying that the universe somehow has this power to to you know uh in fact um I guess I can say, I don't even know her name. Uh, there was an influencer online that was talking about her. Her husband had recently passed away. But just a few weeks before, she was talking about manifesting and how, you know, this is why manifesting works. And manifesting just simply means if you say enough positive things, then the universe listens to you and gives you what you want. And I was, but I was reading, I was thinking, oh, that wasn't what she wanted. I wonder what she thought the universe, you know, did she not... Did she not behave well enough for the universe to give her what she wanted? Did she not confess it enough to give, you know, so that her husband didn't die? Um, and at some point, you know, that fear is going to creep up in her, but the fa- she has a faith in something. That's right. Not a creator of the universe, but the universe it- itself, which I guess goes when you think back to the, you know, irrational belief, like you're believing in something. But the largest percentage drop, so they put these out, you know, in all these demographics, the largest percentage of, of change in belief of God is unmarried white women, 18 to 29 years old, like female, female, drastic drop off in their belief in God. I guess anecdotally again, because, you know, atheism especially used to be the home field advantage for 25 to 35 year old white dudes on Reddit. (laughs) <laughs> sure you know um but with the amount of female influencers out there specifically those that were you know and it's really funny to me like a lot of them are christians that have deconstructed but they're literally using the same they're, they're still evangelists they're still out there preaching their unbelief asking for you to support their organization they're selling merch like they're literally doing the same thing but with a different um 
uh, with a different product, so to speak. So many of the things that, that they skewed or eschewed from Christianity, they're just now putting a, a non-believer lens on it. But there's a lot of females in that in that world. I mean, when you if you read Jennifer Hatmaker from 12 years ago, 15 years ago, and read Jennifer Hatmaker two years ago, a year ago, you know, she's, I think she would still be a believer, a mysticist of some kind, maybe a universalist, maybe, but the, she's using her platform exactly like she did before, but now she's just using it to sell, sell a product that is a, which is unbelief or belief in the universe, I guess. Yeah. Sounds like a sad way to live. Yeah. Well, one thing that we are seeing that does give us hope is that age demographic seemingly is sparking revival across the country. Well, that's interesting because it's actually the younger than that, right? Because what do you say the age group was of unbelievers? 18, 18 to 25. Oh, it's 18. Okay, 25. Okay. So the, the, I'm you know, thinking of the millennial mamas. So it's younger than that yeah. that are dropping off that, that we are seeing right now across probably more than five that I, that I can name right now, college campuses that are, yeah, that are seeing five. It's closer to 10, 12 yeah, than I know of, but yeah. 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 That are seeing round the clock times of worship and prayer at their, at their college campuses. Yeah. Which is when I, I, when, when I thought about the upper room, I used to think of it as a bunch of like old people what, right after Jesus ascended. But I mean, Mary probably would have been the oldest. Because she would have been like, but she would have been 40, 43. Um, but John, James, these were young guys, 18 to 25 years old. Jesus was surrounded by 18 to 25 year olds. Like, so of course Jesus would again. I mean, I've, like the, 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 eventually you become too smart to do this stuff. So God needs, you know, God always starts, it seems like to me anyway, always starts in the 18 to 25 year old. I love it. So, yeah. And if, look, if you're 18 to 25, you, you're probably not listening to this podcast, but you're probably the parent of somebody who is. But uh, they need Jesus right now. If there's anything they've learned right the last few years, they can't trust science. They can't trust the government. They can't trust their education. Like the whole world has been shaken from underneath of them. So looking for truth uh, for the one who we will see coming up soon is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, it's a very logical conclusion for them. Yeah, which is why last night, you know, we had a, the circle meet, which is our young adult group here at Conduit on Tuesday evenings. And, you know, we had 60 to 70 young people gathering around um, a little, little larger than a small group <laughs> Yeah, that spent a couple hours just in a time of worship and prayer. Yeah. And that gives me a lot of hope. Yeah, I would, you know, I would love it instead of, of having to drive up to Kentucky which they're turning the people away right now. I mean, six and a half hour wait to get in the building. Wow. Here's what, here's what I'm thinking. They used to do a festival every year. Man, I've been thinking about that. Called Ichthus. Ichthus Music Festival. At this college. <laughs> and they're saying we can't, we can't accommodate 20,000 people. I'm like, oh, yes, you can. We know where the field is. Yeah. We used to have the concert. We've seen it. We've, our <laughs> bands have played concerts at this, you know, at this Many field. Many times. But... Yeah, I was thinking like the unsuspecting members, the 6,000 population town, you know, like 40 minutes out of uh, Lexington. It's like, yeah. a, uh, I don't even know what town. It'd be like a Pulaski, you know, of, uh, yeah, of Nashville. Um, thousands of people showing up. And what I, I will say, I appreciate this about the Asbury is that 
when old people show up to that kind of thing, we got we got bad ideas usually. We're trying to figure out how to monetize it or how to monopolize it or whatever, and they're, they're like shutting it down. Like if you're 18 to 25, you get special entrance privileges. You Now, they tried to stop it, but I don't know. It doesn't seem like it stopped, right? Like as of this recording, they were saying they were going to stop it um, because we, we got to get back to normal. And, you know, I saw a video from somebody who was there last night, like yeah. late, and it was like, oh, that didn't look like it's stopping at all. <laughs> if, if you're using the word stop, you're getting the wrong. But people are coming in from like other countries, man, like yeah. flying in. Yeah. Asbury College, of course, Lee University um, down in Cleveland, Tennessee, yes. Cedarville University, which is in my backyard back home in Ohio, just outside of Dayton. Um, Sanford. In, yep. Sanford. In, in Birmingham. Birmingham. And then I was, uh, somebody was telling me about texas a&m yeah and yale wow and that we you know we don't even, didn't even begin to touch on what's happening globally right with it you know it, it's it's pretty cool like and to this day like I, if you were to line up a hundred people and say which one of these are the ones that are you know leading worship i don't i don't know any of them yeah yeah i mean it didn't start with a uh dare i say like an elevation uh, or hillsong tour <laughs> those are great those yeah. are awesome i've been to them yeah um this is just different though music and the production is is outstanding but that's not what this is yeah because uh, i've listened to the live stream the music is not outstanding no and but it's so pure that you don't care like it's that's like, right you know there's something about <laughs> that that uh that seems to move it's moving the hearts of of the people yeah uh and certainly certainly seems to be moving the hearts of god with it so yeah do it here lord that's right i'll get out of the way i'd be happy to not preach for like three months if you want you know what i mean <laughs> that would be nice oh, that'd be so fun well this sunday we're going to continue in our believe series um, as we kind of make our way through the book of john and um this this particular chapter is has been great and hopefully you've been encouraged to believe and which is the name of the series that there's so many examples. This is why John talks about it over and over and over, giving all the reasons, all the examples of how and why we should believe. And so if that's you, we pray that you would and that you do. If you've missed any of the previous teachings, you can always catch those on our on this podcast, of course. Or if you want to watch one of our services, you can do that on our YouTube channel. Just search Conduit Church. Any information you could possibly want to know about Conduit Church, visit www.conduitchurch.com.